where one was consecrated on the average every week. Augustine went into the later iconography of his church, wearing all the Episcopal finery of the late Middle Ages—mitre, crozier, gloves, ring, and so on. But he dressed in the gray clothes of a monk and celebrated the rites of his church in that everyday garb. His influence came not from his ecclesial rank, but from his writings, which were staggering in quantity— His own incomplete review of his books numbered ninety-three. There are, besides, almost three hundred of his letters and over four hundred sermons, out of the estimated eight thousand that he preached. What he said of the learned pagan Varro was even truer of him. Though he read so much that we are amazed he found time to write, he wrote so much that few, we believe, can have read it all. Augustine dictated to relays of stenographers, often late into the night. He employed teams of copyists. His sermons, several a week, were taken down by his own or other shorthand writers. In some seasons, he preached daily. His letters were sent off in many copies. He paced about as he dictated, a reflection of the mental restlessness and energy conveyed in the very rhythms of his prose. He was a tireless seeker, never satisfied. Like Aeneas, the hero of his favorite poem, he sailed toward ever-receding shores. Impatient with all preceding formulations, even his own, he was drawn to and baffled by mystery. Since it is God we are speaking of, you do not understand it. If you could understand it, it would not be God. We seek one mystery, God, with another mystery, ourselves. We are mysterious to ourselves because God's mystery is in us. Our mind cannot be understood, even by itself, because it is made in God's image. Augustine's description of the human urgency toward truth was an unwitting exercise in self-portraiture. The impulse present in our seeking goes out beyond the seeker, and hovers, as it were, unable to rest in any other goal until what is sought has been found and the seeker is united with it. This impulse, or search, does not seem to be love, which we have for known things, since it is an effort toward the unknown. Yet it has a quality cognate to loves. It can be called an act of will, for the seeker wills to find— and if something knowable is being sought, then the seeker has a will to know. If that seeking is urgent and focused, it is called studious, our term for those wanting to master knowledge. So an impulse of some kind precedes the mind's generative act, and through this will to seek and find knowledge, the knowledge itself comes to birth. This restlessness outward is what Augustine called the unstable heart— Cor inquietum, tumbling humans off balance toward what they want without knowing what it is. Our yearning anticipates landfall, throws hope as an anchor toward that shore. His mind was always refashioning what it found inadequate. This dynamic character to his thought has been missed by those who break it off at any point and treat it as a system— The medieval period misunderstood the city of God as a fixed doctrine of church-state relations. Calvin tied down with an iron logic what is a dialectical process in Augustine's thought on grace. The attitude of Augustine was one of joint endeavor after a truth that is always just beyond us. Let the reader, where we are equally confident, stride on with me. Where we are equally puzzled, 
pause to investigate with me. Where he finds himself in error, come to my side. Where he finds me erring, call me to his side. So we may keep to the path in love as we fare on toward him whose face is ever to be sought. If others could advance beyond his capacities, he urged them to do so. Press on where you can. When we reach our final destination, you will not have to question me, nor I you. We are presently seeking in faith what we shall then share joyfully in vision. Calvin had an exalted misconception of Augustine, an understandable misunderstanding, as it were. A more superficial but very common view of Augustine turns the great seeker into nothing but the great sinner, an ex-debauchee obsessed with sex. The title of his best-known book contributes to this reductive treatment.